welcome to another episode of Pet Talk Podcast, the official podcast of Alicia Pet Care Center. We're a state-of-the-art animal hospital in Mission Viejo, California. If you're not from this area, that is smack dab in Orange County, Southern California. We are a five-doctor practice, and we have our doctors in on these episodes to be able to go over some topics and discuss some issues that are brought up to us by you, the listener, whether you're a client or not. Through our social media, through emails, uh, we get some of these topics brought to us even on our Twitter. So uh, you can find us on all of our social media at APCCVet. I'll give you all that information at the end of the episode. So let's just get right to it. We have Dr. Dewey and Dr. Foreman coming in today to discuss three different topics that were brought to us online. So let's bring the doctors in. All right, and we are here with Dr. Foreman and Dr. Dewey. Uh, Thank you both for being here today. Today, like I said, we have a couple of items that were brought to us through social media, through Facebook, and even through Twitter. Our first topic at hand is bee stings. And this actually came to us because of a Instagram post and Facebook post that we had of this dog, this little puppy that got stung on its snout and was all puffy faced and everybody thought it was super cute and or ah the poor puppy and then people started asking us actual questions of what they can do at home if this happens to their dog Uh, we had one specific person who talked about um, their dog had been stung multiple times not all at once but a couple of different incidents and they are a hiker and they're out very often and so they were saying what can I bring with me when I'm on hikes and how can we treat this here at home before we bring them in? So you guys can take that one away. So I guess one of the most common things that a person could have if they know their pet has allergies to insects or, you know, has gotten stung before and got some facial swelling or similar issues like that is they can have some, um, yes, you can use over-the-counter Benadryl. Uh, It's totally safe for the most part, and you can administer that at about a milligram per pound of body weight. It's something that you can have readily available, uh, and you are not in an area that you can take to your veterinarian right then and there. And that may help reduce some of the severity of the swelling and the clinical signs of hives and stuff like that that you would commonly see. So any over-the-counter Benadryl is fine as long as it's not liquid. A lot of the liquid um, Benadryl, they add xylitol for um, for taste. But to- xylitol is toxic to dogs, so um, you want to stay away from liquid. You can use the gel capsules or the tablets are fine. Um, and it's a lot easier to carry around a little capsule or tablet anyway when you're going hiking. And then it's something really easy you can give. It is one milligram per pound, like Dr. Foreman said. Um, But most of the capsules come in usually a 20 milligram tablet. So you can kind of round up or down depending on how big your dog is. If you give them a little higher dose, um, it's just going to cause a little bit of sedation or drowsiness. Um, But otherwise, it should definitely help with any uh, mild reaction they have to to the bee sting. If you are this person and you have your dog that has been apparently stung by a bee, what is the level of reaction that you are looking for 
as a, I can treat this at home, I can give my dog Benadryl and uh, they're going to be okay versus the, okay, it's time for me to call my vet or time for me to bring my pet down to the vet. Uh, even if they have already given a dose of Benadryl, what, the, what should they be looking for in their pet as a sign to escalate it? So a mild um, reaction would just be kind of a local reaction, a little redness in the area, um, maybe a little tender when you're touching the area, um, and mild swelling. But some dogs can have severe reactions, which lead to facial swelling and trouble breathing. Um, if there's bee sting on the face and with any swelling around the face or the neck, I'd bring them straight to the vet. You can give them some Benadryl. It's not going to harm them. Um, but bring them straight to the vet because if it gets worse, you don't want to compromise um, their breathing. Um, if it's just a little local reaction, um, Benadryl should, should help and it should go down in the next couple hours. Um, another thing to do is look for the stinger. A lot of bees, when they sting, they leave the stinger and then they die after. So um, if you notice the little bit of swelling, you can look for the stinger because you do want to remove that. Um, so it's something where if you know there's a bee that's stung your pet. Um, there's a mild reaction going on there. It's a little tender in the area and you're looking, you don't see a stinger, um, but it's starting to get a little swollen. Bring them in as soon as possible so we can get them treated before it leads to um, some respiratory and breathing issues. Yeah. And like Dr. Dewey said, again, it all depends on where ultimately the pet was stung. If it's in the face area, we obviously worry about facial swelling and, you know, that's close to their airway and we don't want them having any respiratory compromise, difficulty breathing. If it's on a foot, that's a little bit away from the respiratory tract and we may not be uh, as worried as that. Yes, you may have a swollen foot, but a different area. So um, a little less of a major concern when it comes to dogs and their respiratory system. And, you know, you obviously don't want to have your dog become, you know, so severely uh, affected and have that reaction that, you know, they're having any pale mucous membranes or they're not moving around that much. They're very wiped out from that. That would be a more, you know, severe reaction. Yes, Benadryl is okay, but obviously getting to the veterinarian as soon as possible if that's happening so that we can give them additional medications or treat them more for shock, uh, that type of situation. A perfect example was my own dog, Olivia. She's a 10-pound chihuahua, and I live very, very far from the clinic. Um, so she, I was out for a walk, and you know, she goes into this grassy area. I didn't really see any bees or anything like that, and she was out sniffing around and then she came back out and she was limping and I was like, what the heck is going on here? Um, so I took a look at her. Her paw looked a little red. I couldn't see any obvious stinger at the time. Uh, but yeah, she was um, limping. She was kind of licking at her paw, carried her home just because I didn't want her to have to walk. And um, that was a more milder reaction and got her home. My younger girl, Jordan, she helped me. She was my veterinary assistant for the day. She got a pair of tweezers and we were kind of looking through her, her foot and got the stinger out. And I gave her some oral Benadryl and she was fine. And granted, that was a mild reaction, but 
again, it just depends on where they get bit or, you know, how severe the reaction is to warrant saying, I need to get my pet into the vet. Little offshoot question of my own. And when I used to get stung by bees when I was a kid, and I'm not an animal, well, I'm not a pet, but when I would get stung, my parents would rub, like, I think they used accent. If you got, you both, you might be too young for that, Dewey. Do you remember accent? It was kind of like a Lari's salt kind of powder. And they would rub that on it, I think, to relieve the swelling or... Um, to maybe pull some of the toxins out. Is there something topical that um, people can use, or is it basically just an internal medicine that would be used for bee stings? I would say it's more of an internal thing. I don't really, you know, ever recommend something topical to relieve, you know, the swelling. I think, you know, again, if it's a mild reaction, over-the-counter Benadryl does well because, you know, by the time the stinger gets in there, the localized reaction happens, uh, you know, you just want to give something orally just to kind of cover your systemic effects of it. Um, And generally, uh, I don't believe that topical things would work as good as opposed to, yeah, here's your over-the-counter Benadryl, I've given that to you, and you're doing fine. I agree. Most topicals um, won't make a huge difference in a bee sting reaction. And the reason I would mainly stay away from a topical is because it's already a little tender in the area. Um, there might already be a little sensation there. And then adding a topical might want your lead your pet to lick the area or bite the area. Then it will lead into um, a local infection. And you'll kind of go down that line of ending up with a little hot spot in the area. Um, so kind of keeping, you know, you want to make sure that your pet's not licking the area. Um, and to prevent that, adding anything topically, usually dogs want to lick it right off. So I would stick to just oral. Okay. So because we are kind of at this time of the year in the area, and, uh, I know with a lot of those trail hikers, there are a lot more rattlesnakes out right now. And what would you guys say to anybody who has their pet bit by a rattlesnake? Is there something that they can do or should they just be coming to us immediately? Um, You want to get to a veterinarian as soon as possible. There's nothing over the counter or topical. You, your pet needs the antivenom. So I would definitely recommend bringing um, your dog to the vet to get the antivenom as soon as possible um, rather than waiting to see if there's a reaction or if there's something going on because your pet can potentially die from a rattlesnake bite if it's not treated um, depending on how much venom was injected. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's really nothing that I can think of that a person can do other than getting your pet to the vet the quickest and safest way possible. Um, yeah, rattlesnake uh, bites in the severe form could be very fatal, and we obviously don't want that to happen, and getting him to the vet is the best thing. Okay, so another thing that we got was an email from one of our clients, actually, through Facebook. Uh, her name is Melanie, and she was asking about something that is kind of a hot topic uh, everywhere right now, Um, being A, home remedies, B, coconut oil. 
So her question was, she has two dogs. One has allergy flare-ups at least twice a year since they rescued him. Her other dog has consistently daily been on the same steroid after um, JoJo's last bout with his flare-up and Bruce took his last pills, she's been giving them both a pure coconut oil supplement. It seemed to be doing the trick, but now JoJo is starting to itch, and Bruce has seemed to subside. What are your thoughts on using coconut oil? Am I just wasting time and money trying to, quote-unquote, fix something that can really only be fixed with the medication? So what do you guys say to all those believers in coconut oil for everything? Well, I mean, I know coconut oil has been out there and it seems to be a very, very popular oil right now. Um, I can honestly say that at least I've, you know, never seen it demonstrated to, you know, actually cure your pet if it's allergies or anything like that. So we have nothing to say that it really does much. Um it, it may be just a temporary fix kind of thing. Um, obviously, if your pet has allergies, there may be a lot going on, figuring out what type of allergy does your pet have. Um, does it have allergies to fleas? Does it have allergies to food? Or is it just an environmental thing? Uh, certainly, there's probably no harm in using some coconut oil. Uh, to kind of maybe soften the skin or give it some uh, variation of oils. Uh, But at least nothing that I can think of that would be, oh, that's going to definitely cure your pet of its problems long-term wise. So short-term remedy, possible. Long-term remedy, probably not likely uh, going to help your pet. Um, I don't, you know, I don't have a huge problem with people trying coconut oil. If if it helps, great. It's something natural, affordable, easy um, to get. Um, one thing I do want to note is with coconut oil, you should, or any medication or supplement that you try, you should start lower on a dose perspective. Try maybe a, like a teaspoon for a small dog um, and a, a tablespoon for a large breed dog. Try it for about a week first. See if your dog has any reactions to it. Reactions meaning soft stools or diarrhea, inappetence. Make sure they can handle it before you start giving it on every single meal, meal or twice a day. Um, if your dog's doing fine with it, then you can give it a try. Give it about two weeks. See if it works. See if it helps. Most of the time it might help initially or it might help a tiny bit, but not resolve the problem. Like Dr. Foreman said, it doesn't really cure problems. Um, And one of the issues I'm seeing is a lot of people with the talk about coconut oil is it works great. It heals everything. So they continue to do coconut oil and they don't get the help. So your pet starts to get an infection. They put coconut oil on it. The infection is not going to be treated by coconut or coconut oil is not going to treat the infection. So if there's any evidence of infection, bring them in because they need some antibiotics to treat that. Um, And then after you treat the infection, if you want to try coconut oil to see if you can maintain um, some, some help with the inflammation, that's fine. Um, But I think the, the biggest point I'm trying to get across is if there's an infection, coconut oil is not going to treat it. You can try it if there's no infection, see if it works. Um, and then if it doesn't work, um, you know, bring them in and and we can offer something that will definitely help your pet. Okay, good. I know that 
there are a lot of those out there, a lot of different brands and a lot of different types. So I think that's good for people to know that it might give some kind of short term assistance, but it isn't something that you are expecting to cure these ailments. Uh, So thank you for speaking to that. Uh, Our last thing that we got is regarding cats. So we had a bunch of uh, people bringing up the fact that they have indoor cats that are basically using their house as a litter box, pretty much. And I didn't get specifics there. These were just kind of general questions. So I don't know if they had multiple cats, if they had multiple litter boxes, or if they even let their cats outside, if they were indoor, outdoors. So what would you guys say regarding people who are very frustrated about their cats not just using their litter box in their home? Yeah, I agree. It can be a very frustrating thing, especially uh, if it's happening on a repetitive basis. So lots of different issues with cats. It's really important to kind of bring your kitty in uh, for an evaluation to make sure and uh, ensure that you're, it's not a medical issue. Um, because when cats urinate outside the box, it depends on a lot of different factors. Is it a medical issue? Is it a uh, behavioral type of issue. So it's really important just to start off with saying, I'm going to get my pet to the vet, get him checked out, make sure that or try to deduce if it's a, you know, medical issue or is it a behavioral issue. Once we ensure that it's not a medical issue, then we can kind of work on some of the different ways that we can try to fix your cat of uh, urinating outside the box and give you some appropriate guidelines as to uh, what's happening. Um, so you definitely um, want to rule out any medical issues, but things to do at home, say it's not a medical issue, there's no urinary stone, there's no u- urinary tract infection, easy things to do at home, um, make sure there's um, multiple litter boxes. So the rule of thumb is you want the number of litter boxes to equal the number of cats plus one. So if you have two cats, you want three litter boxes. If you have three cats, you want four litter boxes. Um, Some cats won't go in a litter box if it's in an area they don't like. So you want to have multiple so they have choices. Um, Especially if you have multiple cats, you want them to be able to have enough that if they're picky and they don't want to urinate because another cat urinated in that box, you want them to have options. Um, Another thing is... um, water. You want them drinking as much water as possible. You want them to flush their bladder out, um, which helps with any mild inflammation in the bladder. Um, so that definitely helps having even maybe a, a water, um, a water bowl that's a little waterfall will get a cat to drink more water. Um, feeding canned food only will help them, um, to get more water content. Um, so that's something to do also to decrease stress. A lot of cats can get something called feline lower urinary tract disease, which is just mainly inflammation, um, of the urinary bladder and they can get that by just stress. Cats like things that are very routine at the same time, all the time. If you're moving, if you're bringing a new animal in, a new cat in, even if there's a new stray cat that's going back and forth, um, in front of the door, or the window, your cat can get very stressed out, um, and can cause them to urinate in inappropriate areas. Um, So decreasing the stress, finding a stressor 
if you know something if your cat's not urinating in the litter box making sure it's not something that you can easily treat um, or easily take care of if there's something that's stressing your cat out um, so those little things to to do at home making sure that there's a quiet environment for them to go and hide um, a safe place that um, if they are stressed to feeding them, you know, canned food diets, making sure there's always clean water, um, and having multiple little boxes around um, can all help decrease the um, these incidents if it is more of a stress environment issue. If it's a urinary stone, a bladder infection, all of these things I'm talking about aren't necessarily going to help. Um, and the only way to know that is bring them in so that we can take an x-ray to see if there's a stone or run some urine to see if there's an infection. But um, if all of that comes back normal, then, you know, those are little things to do at home. Yowza. Did Dr. I say that, Dewey, Did I say that to too you. fast? No. <laughs> Dr. Dewey just laying it right out there for you. Um, so I, I know previously in conversations with the doctors, um, you guys obviously included, uh, I've talked about the differences in litter boxes and stuff like that. Um, how much does that kind of feed into a cat's life and their happiness with where they are set up to do their business by their owner at all? Well, if you're talking about like, uh, litter choices obviously you should try to stick with something that's working obviously um, the main thing is, is to be you know obviously very diligent and cleaning and uh, you know once a month uh, just eliminating all the litter in the box and lightly cleaning the box out with uh, a mild detergent and drying it thoroughly if they're happy with one type of litter and they weren't having major issues before then stick with what's been working don't change it up um, sometimes you know as cats get older um, they get they can get arthritis so um, I guess the taller litter boxes can sometimes be a problem as your pet ages um, how they get in and out of the box um, that would be a reason to change for maybe like one of these low carry uh, low you know height boxes um, sometimes even covered versus not covered uh, litter boxes can make a difference and kind of like your cat's privacy those little differences can make a difference so if you can talk to because I know it seems like as cat owners you really are trying to do things with a balance between what it's good for your cat, but what works for you as well. And that's part of why we fought the multiple cat boxes forever, because we kept thinking, where are we going to put another one? We don't want one out in the open. We don't want it in these places that really would be great for it, but we just don't want it there. So things like owners putting in like baking soda into the litter, Things like where they are having them in their home, the litter boxes, is it bad for the cat or will they generally not like having some other scent killer in the litter box? Like if you are shaking a little bit of baking powder or scented something in there so that their poop smells like roses. I think every cat's different, and if you're a cat owner, you probably already know that cats run the house. They're the boss, so if you put something in their litter and you know that they're 
uh, urinating outside the litter box, then they're just telling you, I don't like it. So I think some cats will do fine with it. Other cats are more picky and say, okay, I'm going to find another place to urinate because I don't like the smell or I don't like the texture, you know, so they'll, they'll definitely tell you. I know that uh, a lot of pet owners, um, like I said, they try to kind of do something that works for them, but it may not work for their pets. So it is good for them to pay attention to what their cat is telling them in that case. All right. Unless you guys have anything else to say on that subject, I think we've basically wrapped everything up in a nice, tidy little package for this episode. Yes. All right. Well, thank you very much, doctors, for giving us so much of your time today and uh, amidst your busy schedule. And I know you guys really just wish you could record podcasts all day, but unfortunately we can't. So thank you all for listening and uh, stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pet Talk Podcast featuring the doctors of Alicia Pet Care Center. We're so proud to have this podcast and to be able to get some of this information out to you, whether you're one of our clients or you're somebody Uh, who is maybe going to be one of our clients, or even if you're halfway across the globe. So a lot of this information is going to be helpful and beneficial for you and your pets. So we're happy to bring that out to you in this way. Uh, You can find us on social media at APCCVet for our Instagram, our Twitter, and our Snapchat are all under that username. You can find our Facebook at Alicia Pet Care Center. And you can go to our podcast website at pettalkpodcast.com. We also have our own website for the animal hospital, www.mypetsdoctor.com. That's mypetsdr.com. And if you have any questions or issues, topics that you want to bring up to us to have our doctors or some of our future guests discuss in a future episode, you can send that email to we care at mypetsdoctor.com. If you have any topics or issues that you'd love for us to discuss in the future episodes, whether it's with our doctors or any of our other guests that we'll be having on, you can send that email to we care at mypetsdoctor.com. You can also drop that as a message through our pettalkpodcast.com website. If you're an Android user, you may be familiar with Stitcher. You can find us on Stitcher. And if you're an iPhones user, you can use your little purple podcast app and find us. We'd love for you to go into iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review. Those things are very helpful for us to uh, become a little bit more available to the public that may not know about us. And that will help us get potentially more topics and some other outside specialty guests and just make the podcast a lot more rich and full for all of you to benefit from a little bit more information. So we'd love for you to do that. So thanks again for tuning into this episode. We'd love to hear from you and otherwise stay tuned for the next episode.